0: This is the Red Sign Podcast, a deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. Welcome to the show.
1: Hello, my name is Steph Scholl and I'm here with the silver dollar man, Scott Stevenson.
0: (laughs) Well, Steph, today we have an interesting subject and that is how to invest with little money down.
1: And we have with us Clay Winder from Keller Williams and Clay. I am so excited about this topic. Since I've been doing this podcast, it just seems like most... People in real estate are investing in real estate and so I just wanna soak up as
2: much of your knowledge as I can. (laughs) The truth is there's probably a there's there's a lot out there on investing, but I think sometimes we can also get it way over complicated mm-hmm. on investing in real estate. And a lot of people in real estate are in real estate because of the investment side first, and then they just get hooked, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, fascinating topic for sure.
1: Well, and something you had talked about how a lot of times people feel like they need all this money to start investing, but you were talking about how you just helped your, was it your nephew? Yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah.
2: I, yeah, I my, my little nephew who hardly has a credit score because he's so young, Uh, made the jump and got his first little rental property. And yeah, I think that's definitely a myth. A lot of people think they need a lot of money to, to put down on these investment properties. So they think, oh, someday, you know, I'll Mm -hmm. get that investment property. But the truth is we live in a, a very blessed country, America, where we have credit, and if you've got your credit score and there's a lot of loan products out right now uh, that even have no, no money down loans, they really do exist still to this day. You know, my nephew and others that have gotten into it just have to take advantage of, of those no money down loans if they don't have a lot saved up and they need to get into this properties. Now, of course, the big caveat to the whole like get into an investment property with no money is that you occupy it.
0: Oh sure. Right. Well, hey, so, yeah. yeah, I was very interested. Well, we've talked a little bit before, and you talked about how you got into investment property. So tell us a little bit about that story.
2: Yeah, and I think that's why I'm so passionate about it, and why I want my nephew and everyone to do it is is because I I found success doing it myself. So at at 21 years old, I kind of caught the real estate. Well,
0: problem. you only look like you're 22 right now. I know, <laughs> right? <laughs>
2: 's <laughs> been a little long, but it's uh you know it, it started off very very simply uh that I, I caught the bug i started i had a conversation with a guy that was he, he couldn't have been over fifty years old at the time, but he said his full time job was just managing the the forty something properties that he owned and and he he owned them all and he just kind of bounced between him managing them and 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 when I did the math on okay if he 's getting you know rent out of each of those and this was, you know, somebody that wasn't a gazillionaire. He was a normal guy. And and that really gave me the bug, so I thought, okay, how do I get into this? So I started to to learn more and I had an uncle that kind of coached me a little bit and uh, decided, okay, I'm going to buy I'm going to buy a condo. And so I bought a condo, my uncle that was kind of, you know, inspiring me too, co-signed with me. So it was me and his son, my cousin, and him, let's, you know, we got our first little condo together, 21 years old, by UVU because we were UVU students. And uh, still to this day, I've since bought my uncle out and bought my cousin out, but still to this day, I own that condo. It cash flows, it does great. But at the time, because we occupied it and because we worked it out right, we put a very small down payment on that one. And uh, since then, uh, you know, that obviously inspired me. I only lasted about a year in that condo before I realized, hey, I wanna do another one. And so I, I, I saved up just enough money to get an FHA loan. And FHA, still to this day, just requires 3.5% of the purchase price for the down payment. So I was able to save up and sell some stuff to at least get that 3.5% down to buy that second property, which was a townhome and moved into it of course FHA and 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 unless you have 20% down you've got to occupy but the language in those contracts is as title people very very well know says that you intend to occupy for one year so it's really only about a one-year commitment to stay in compliance and so I moved in that town home for one year and after that backfilled it with renters that their rent allowed me to qualify for the next one and then moved on to number number three and I've been doing that about every year. It's an, it's an interesting lifestyle for sure, but it's allowed me to acquire several rental properties and I really don't put very much money down.
1: Man, I like hearing that. It's just so exciting. Because <laughs> I think oftentimes when people think investment properties, they think it has to start with a house. And people oftentimes probably forget about the condos and the townhomes, you know? Yeah,
2: and I get asked a lot, do you like... Because at this point, I've got condos, townhomes, houses, and some multifamily. And people ask, what do you like more? And it's it's funny. I don't think there's a right answer other than what flavor do you like? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny. There's a part of me that, that loves my houses because, you know, their houses are mm-hmm. big. You know, you can get you know people they're very desirable people like them but they get hammered you know usually you have to accommodate a pet usually you have to accommodate kids and I say that kind of tongue in cheek but Mm -hmm. also I really like my two-bedroom condos because usually I don't get a pet and I don't get kids so Mm -hmm. those those rarely ever get very very much wear and tear because a two-bedroom condo usually gets you know a couple or a single or a couple of roommates is all with without a lot of you know, a lot of abuse to the property. Um, so, it's, it's, it's certainly interesting and, and helpful to remind people that, yeah, to get started can be as simple as the little condo down the road or something, you know, real simple, but it snowballs. It snowballs and, and you know, you can continue to do it, again, with very little
0: Well, down. I know this sounds elementary, but... <laughs> for those listening now. I
2: what like the, elementary yeah. though. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> it sounds elementary, but you know, so what are, what are some of the major advantages of buying rental properties?
2: Great question. And that's a question I get a lot, right? Especially when the stock market has its ups and downs, but there's a lot of really neat investments out there and, and we can only get excited about our Tesla stock that just got split five ways on Monday and all of that. But at the end of the day, uh, I don't have any of that stock. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, yeah, that, that I wish I did. I about this week, and by the time yeah. this podcast comes out, nobody will care about what the, what the stock you're doing. But investing in real estate really has has four four returns, I would call it. And believe it or not, the cash flow return is the least important. And I always get a, an eyebrow raised when I tell people that. But generally, if a property meets all of my other needs, but only cash flows a dollar a month, I will still consider it because there are the other three and the other three are simply first and foremost your debt reduction right every time that rent check comes in you make that mortgage payment and that mortgage payment has a principal portion and it pays down the debt and so i've got an asset that's that's growing there and that's 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 wealth on my balance sheet. And then the next category is the appreciation, right? It's the opposite of the debt reduction, it's appreciation. And now granted, you don't necessarily receive the appreciation until you sell or refinance the property. But again, on your balance sheet, it's extraordinary. Especially in Utah, when you look at the Wasatch Front, over the last several years, we've been 7A, we even dipped and had a 9%. I think we might see 9% again this year. Uh, as a a whole on the Wasatch front on appreciation which of course is not sustainable but remember the American average uh, and again there's different sources out there but most will agree it's somewhere around four to four and a half percent that's still a decent return just on appreciation not counting these other
0: three so how does that appreciation help you
2: well at the end of the day it creates equity right it's growing so I can either tap into that equity through a refinance or of course when I sell it but if I don't do any of these yeah, I don't really, you know, receive it per se, but it looks good on my fancy balance sheet. Mm-hmm. But then the fourth category is, is, is the most neglected, but it's been the most impactful to me as I've gone through my life. And that is the tax benefits. Remember, mortgage interest is deductible. And so until I had kids, that was my biggest deduction I had. And when I had three, four, five mortgages in my name, the mortgage interest deduction was huge. And then also, in, in addition to mortgage deduction, you also can depreciate the asset on a, on a 27 and a half year depreciation schedule. And that gave me a good little perk. So as a, as a self-employed person uh, that has to write a check to the government sure. every year instead of receive a tax return, it helped me write a smaller check by having <laughs> these. But you add all those up and... and there's an argument to me made out there that when it comes to just a cash on cash return of that little investment, that little FHA 3.5% down, or if you do that Utah housing loan that's no down payment, it, it can just be an extraordinary return on your money when you look at all four of those things at once. And that's what really, again, sucked me in. And, and out of all the topics that I love talking about, I really do love talking about real estate investing because as a as just a middle class kid from West Valley City with no inheritance, no, you know, no, nothing really to my name. It's really neat to say, hey, on just these little investments that I've done, the time value of money is really starting to pay off. And now I've I've sold some of these properties and I'm 1031 exchanging them into bigger multifamily units and land developments. And it's all from just the snowball of these little properties that I got 13, 14, 15 years ago.
0: Well, all of that sounds great. Is there some, cons to doing these. Are there, are there any negatives?
2: Yeah, certainly. And, and, and let's address the biggest negative that everyone has in their mind uh, when it comes to real estate investing and that's tenants, right? And I hate to call them a, a negative but that's, that's the biggest risk factor, mm-hmm. right? Anytime somebody says, oh, I would never buy rentals, I can usually always know that the next thing out of their mouth will be something to do with the management of the renters. Either they had a place trashed or somebody didn't pay their rent on time or you have a president that just happened this week that says nobody has to pay their rent if you have COVID until the yeah. end of the year. And there's details on that in Google, mm-hmm. it. you'll see. But that, that gave us all a little sticker shock mm-hmm. here on Monday uh, when that headline at least came out. And so there are some risks. But the one answer that I would always give to that risk is if, if you don't have the stomach it because I don't, I manage my first few properties and realize I'm too much of a nice guy and people take advantage of me. And I just, I don't like chasing down lay rent checks and so hire a property manager best thing I ever did is I hired a property management company that took care of all of that so now the only you know the only real risk I have is 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 oh gosh I mean in, unless you sell it you still don't really have a lot of risk because even if someone says well what if your asset burns to the ground how many assets out there can you have an insurance policy Real estate, you you can insure. You can't insure your Tesla stock, right? Like if that company burns to the ground, you're just toast. That's actually really good point. But if my house point. burns down to the ground, <laughs> yes. I yeah. get an insurance payout, you know. So there's not necessarily a ton of a ton of risk unless you're capitalizing on I'm going to have to sell it someday. My philosophy has very much been a hold strategy. I'm not out. Fl- I flipped homes, you know, a, a handful, but that's not the point of this conversation. The the, the the properties that I'm talking about are ones that I really do intend to hold for a really long time or just simply sell and 1031 exchange that money into another one and I'm just letting that snowball just keep on rolling.
0: Well now one of the, one of the things that I, in conversations that I have with other people that they have concern about is the potential for maintenance. Right. Meaning something's going to go wrong and they're going to end up losing money. So they get a little bit of cold feet in regards to that. A big loss, not necessarily a fire or something that's covered through insurance, but just the overall maintenance breakdown of their totally. of, of, of their systems, uh, property, et cetera, et cetera. No, and that's a
2: good point because here I, I mentioned, you know, tenants trashing places and that's where property managers can, can chase down. Rental deposits, and and even heaven forbid, have to go to court and, and get m- more money out of people. But you're right; there is just the normal. Hey, there's a reason why the government lets us depreciate over a 27 and a half year. They're thinking. Their thinking behind that is, yeah, stuff's gonna break down, and and your your property gets old. And that is the truth and that is a risk um, and that's something that I didn't value as much in my early days my 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 first little condo was was good my second townhome was fairly new but my third property was just this old old fixer upper home and I got a good deal on it and I don't regret it but boy has it been a lot of work because and not because tenants have been bad on it just because it's so it's so old and I bought it several old properties even after that because I got really excited about the equity play that you could make on old properties but now in the position position where I'm in, my life where I'm, I'm, I'm busy, I do have kids now, and, I, and time is not as readily available as, as a 20-something-year-old, I've realized that owning old property, old properties has been taxing.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
2: I've now started to sell those, and the properties I'm investing in now, 1031, exchanging that money into, are newer. And they don't have as good as cash flow, the numbers don't look so good, but I'm now valuing much more the the energy of of replacing old furnaces and replacing windows and roofs and those things cost money but in the grand scheme of things even when you factor that that you'll have those expenses which by the way on older homes i usually factor about a one percent of its value every year i'll dish out Mm -hmm. in some kind of repairs the newer stuff not so much but someday they'll be able to and Mm -hmm. you'll have that kind of rule but even when factoring in that which i always do on my my analysis they're still great investments, but what you can't factor in there is your time and energy to coordinate that. And even with a property manager, you know, when your furnace goes out, yeah, they can kind of coordinate things, but that's where you can spend a lot more in, in fees and, and whatnot. And so I find myself wanting to be a little more hands-on and it's taxing. Yeah. So that is, a, that is a valid risk. But at the same time, when I look at how much money these properties make me, you know, it's, <laughs> I think, boy, it's worth driving over there and, and yeah. fixing the disposal or whatever going wrong with it because it's just a great little investment.
0: Well, I love that. Uh, I I love what you have just said because it it speaks to where people are at in their lives. Some people may have a lot of time that they would have in order to, depending upon their age or family, circumstances, et cetera, and others may value the time more spend with their family and so it it may vary as far as the type of properties they're looking for.
2: Is that right? And that's the thing about real estate is you have that flexibility. Mm -hmm. You can do the student housing, you know, by one of the universities and be very hands-on and have eight, you know, eight contracts for eight students in one house and make a lot of cash flow because you've got high rents or do the nightly rental Mm -hmm. scene or something, but it's very hands-on, but it has a good return or you can get that little two bedroom downtown condo, get it with a property manager and you won't visit that thing in a decade, Mm -hmm. right? It's just kind of a a truly set it and forget, especially if it's newer and you don't have the repairs. You know, you can have that that flexibility and that's the neat thing about real estate is I I can choose, you know, I can kind of evolve from from one end of the spectrum and another. And I will tell you when it comes to repairs, the other big aha that I had as I was going through all of those repairs is that I had a, a realization Probably six or seven years ago, that that some of the properties were not necessarily to the standard that I would live in, and I know that sounds maybe trivial. And again, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter to me in the beginning because it was all almost all about Mm -hmm. the money. But I realized that there was there was some value to me in only owning owning assets that I myself would actually live in. And that created a standard for me. Yeah. And so I, you know, because I had some properties that, and I wouldn't say I was slum lording, but I, but I personally wouldn't live in yeah. them because yeah. they were that old and they were in mm-hmm. that neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I realized at that point, hey, I don't really like driving over here and and working on this old place all the time. And so I've 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 kind of reset that standard and and held to it. And that's that's dummy. That's it's been good to have that.
1: Okay, so I have a question for you because yeah. you're talking about these newer properties. I just want your opinion like so are like new builds are they like, a good investment for rentals or is I get this question yeah.
2: every single day uh-huh. because there's a stigma that if it's new you're paying full retail value Yeah, therefore it can't be a good deal. Now, that is true. I mean, if you're buying new you're paying full uh-huh. retail value. But guess what, if you're buying old you're not only paying retail value. You're in multiple offers, paying yeah. through the nose anyway. Uh-huh. I mean, right now the stat that the and, and I'd, I'd like to. I, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's somewhat accurate, but the Wasatch Front MLS said that that they're estimating that half of our uh, half of the listings right now are getting multiple offers along the Wasatch Front. Half, yeah, fifty like yeah. percent of of listings on the MLS. You know, the existing homes are getting multiple offers. It's driving thousands of Utah's to say, you know, I just, it's not worth chasing these mm-hmm. homes. I'll just go new construction. But even new construction is getting multiple offers in, in numerous neighborhoods, especially if you come down to Utah County, my mm-hmm. neck of the woods, it's, it's, you know, there's a lot going on. But to answer your question, again, it's, it's a lot a mathematical equation, you know, is if in factoring in the mortgage rate with rates so low right now is, is just as important as the purchase price and right now when people say prices are so insanely high how can it still make sense to even buy a house or buy new one of the things that's always fascinating is come full circle is because interest rates are so much lower this summer than last summer if you look at the affordability rate it's technically more affordable this summer than last summer even though prices are higher the rates have made the monthly payment equal or less than last summer. But the challenge of new construction is you can't lock your rate. You're gonna wait for prices to come down. Yeah, and so people wait for that to happen is supply and demand. Yeah, and is there any sign of our supply exceeding our demand? We can't build houses fast enough, we can't get it through cities, cities are log jammed, we, we have a population growth. That's why, you know, the beginning of this year, because we were still in the same boat, but not as bad. But at the beginning of the year, people said, Oh, this market, it's, it's going to crash soon. Is there anything that would stop it? And no joke, I remember multiple people saying, well, it maybe if a natural disaster or if a pandemic or something happened, like maybe that would stop it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a pandemic, and what happened?
2: Yeah, yeah it, it maybe suppressed a little bit of demand, but what it suppressed was our our normal sellers that would have put their homes on mm-hmm. the market decide, oh, I don't want to list my home. And so the supply just plummeted. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the stats, our supply here in Utah went down, but our demand really didn't get that suppressed. Mm-hmm. And it created this bizarre 2020 summer where, yes, we're dealing with a pandemic, but we're also, we have the lowest inventory we've had in like 10 years. Like we, we it is just so suppressed that we don't have enough homes for everybody and that's why you're dealing with multiple mm-hmm. offers on everything you're doing yeah. 50%. you know, of, of homes out there are just are just a bloodbath.
1: Yeah. And it's rough.
2: So to say, well, I'll just wait for prices to come down. Eh, maybe if I was, you know, Park City, 20 million dollar plus, like that stuff's who knows what's going to happen yeah, with, yeah. The, with the Uber luxury stuff. But gosh, if you're talking little condos, townhomes, small homes here in especially Salt Lake Valley, Utah County, Dave, you know, if you're just here on the Wasatch front, I'd say Time value of money. Make your offer today, even though it's crazy high. Just get mm-hmm. it. You know. It's, yeah. Otherwise, you might wait, and next thing you know, you're you're as old as Scott. And it's, yes. yes, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, you don't have to say you're kidding. That's a that's a reality. No,
1: but, but that's where I'm like, look at it. I'm like, it just seems so smart right now.
2: Yeah, and rate and rates may go up a little bit. You know, they're not gonna. They're not. You won't see too much action until after the election, obviously. But once the election happens, you might see rates go up a little bit. But rates never they never move fast. They're mm-hmm. incremental, you know, if, and you can, you know, you look at the history on that. So I'm not too worried. Right now, like I mentioned, I do have multiple properties under contract and they're new, just like mm-hmm. you, and they're not going to be done till next spring. Yeah. And so when I run my reports, I'm, I'm adding a full percent on my interest rate. So instead of the gosh, two and a half that you see nowadays, I'm doing three and a half, four percent even, uh-huh. uh, just to make sure that my numbers still look good. You know, heaven forbid they go yeah. back up. But they could. And, you know, so you want to protect yourself. But I, it is, I, I do always ask the question too, when people really get caught up on, well, everything's just so high. I always ask the question, well, what else are you going to buy? Name it. First of all, where else would you put your money right now? Mm-hmm. Put it in a savings account? be yep. Like, I mean, really like challenge me. And, and I've really come down to, there's only a couple of things that can beat real estate. One is maybe a really cool startup. It's risky as can be, but we've seen some incredible businesses just grow out of Utah, and there is some there are some bright minds here. And boy, I wish I had some some of my money in some of those. <laughs> schools, right? So there's some really cool startups that could just blow every every investment out of the water. And then the second thing might just be good old fashioned education. Go get a degree, investing yourself. You know, put that money in in your education. Sure, you you could argue that's better than real estate. But I don't know what else is better. It's not gold. It's not stocks. It's not bonds. I mean, if somebody's got something. Let me know, but I, I haven't found I haven't it yet.
0: <laughs> well, now we've gone down a couple avenues here and you mentioned a little bit earlier Park City. So I wanted to ask you in regards to investment properties when it comes to like vacation properties, purchasing properties to use them as bread and breakfast or, yeah, or 19, something right, like that. Yes, the, the nightly, nightly kind of thing. How
2: about a- that? Educate us. I dabbled in it just a bit. And at the end of the day, the cash flows are, I mean, really when you're talking, hey, I want cash flow, this is the route you explore, right? Because now you're getting hundreds and hundreds of dollars a night, you know, if you've got the right property, opposed to just that rent check each month. So from a cash flow perspective, your revenue is very, very high. If you have a a manager, most Park City around Salt Lake, the management companies I've dealt with are usually about 50% of that because they're, I mean, they're operating like a hotel staff to Mm -hmm. a degree. St. George is interesting. There's a couple of companies that are less. There's a 40% company out there and then I think I heard a rumor there's a 35% company out there we'll have to check out. Um, but at the end of the day, so it's a little more expensive, but you can make a lot of money, but it's more volatile. Uh, again, bring up the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, we had vacancy. Nobody was Airbnb a mm-hmm. VRBO for about a 90-day period. It's come back now, but I had several clients that own these. In fact, one of my, my favorite clients... Uh, owns a downtown, right by the Vivian Arena penthouse suite, and she mm. manages it herself. It's a part-time job, and she's made a killing on it until the pandemic hit. And then I was like, wow, everybody canceled her whole her whole calendar canceled. And so, when you talk about risk and things, there's some risk on those. Um, there could be some some risk of higher maintenance because people tend to party in mm-hmm. in their BNBs and whatnot. At the end of the day, from a performance standpoint, they can they can crush it. I just think your risk your risk tolerance needs to be a little higher if you do those. I've helped my friends do them. I've, I've quite a few of them. I've helped my cousins get some stuff down in St. George. I always say I'm going to, I even had one under contract in St. George I was going to do. But then another opportunity came up that I like better. And so I've yet to do it because my risk tolerance is maybe just not quite there yet. <laughs> but I think when it comes to maybe lifestyle and things to have an Airbnb that I might use, utilize a lot myself, that brings a whole value to the equation that you mm-hmm. can't put in a spreadsheet. Right? Yeah. So, yes. Yeah. I, 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 I'm fascinated. by And they're not going away, too. You know, I, I still love my Marriott's and, you know, and mm-hmm. hotels. But at the end of the day, I think nightlies are here to stay. And, and the reason I say that is because of the politics behind cities. You have a lot of legislation and a lot of city ordinances that have really been pressed to allow it. You know, yeah. so it's they're here to stay.
1: Well, and a lot of times you get so much more space. Like it's so much more fun if you're going with a family or a group of friends because you can all hang out in the same area. Yeah, there's and no question. From a consumer yeah.
2: standpoint, it's it's just an awesome uh-huh. it's, it's an awesome product because you you don't always get that with we can't get it with hotels uh-huh. if you want the whole yeah or, or house and things. So yeah, they're not they're not going anywhere.
0: Well, now here's going back just a little bit for someone who is sitting here listening and thinking. Uh, this is something new to me I'm going to take the leap yeah what is the biggest mistakes that first-time investment buyers make that either sour them or they end up losing money
2: great question so the first is the obvious one you'll see this in any any conversation or book you read on real estate investing, and that is, you really make your money on the buy. Meaning, you, you know what you're gonna make before you even purchase the property because you've done your homework. And that's your your due diligence homework. You truly run the numbers, you, you, you're clear on your loan terms. You just really get, you don't just shoot from the hip. Take, take a minute, make sure you know you're getting not necessarily even a, you know, you're, you're buying a good deal, but just make sure your own numbers internally work and you've studied the, the market rents and know what you can project on what you're going to get if it's not already rented. So that's the first thing. The second thing might be a little bit new to some people, and that is choose your partners wisely. I've helped a lot of people, especially a lot of young kids will always get together and say, hey, oh, well, I can't, just like me, I had to use my uncle to co-sign, mm-hmm. I had my cousin. Thank goodness we all had great relationships because I have seen time and time again where friends now are not friends tomorrow and they buy a property same thing with you know with uh, you know boyfriend girlfriend husband wife they buy a house together well, people get divorced people break yep. up and, and and one of the most complicated parts of any breakup whether it's it's you know, a a marriage or it's a business partnership is that asset. And so that's a mistake I've seen a lot is buying properties with the wrong partners where they don't necessarily have an end vision. Meaning one partner says, hey, this is kind of a short term. I want to be rolling this into something else or selling this in four or five years and the other says, I want this to be my retirement. This is going to pay me when I'm retiring and they're not all on the same page and it creates some conflict. And then also giving roles, you know, who's the guy that's gonna run over there at 10 o'clock at night to fix the broken water heater? You know, or do you have a property manager? Who, you know, what partner does what? Um, you know, there could be some conflict there. But at the end of the day, partnerships do work. A lot of people, especially you know investors that, again, don't have a lot of money or don't have a lot of resources might need to have partners, just like I did. And that's okay. All I'm saying is get clear, put a plan in place. Even with my uncle, we had a written agreement. We had a written signed agreement between all of us. We, we had some operating documents to help us manage that asset. It's worth it to cross your T's and dot your I's when they're
0: doing these, Yeah, I think, uh, and that's a very good point because I think a lot of people think when they're dealing with family that, well, it's just family and everything's gonna be okay. We all understand how this is gonna work uh, without having any kind of documentation at all as to what exactly everybody's responsible for. So uh, I've seen yep. a lot of families uh, break up over, These kinds of issues. Yeah, you don't talk
2: to each other and and all of that, especially if it comes to borrowing money. And we haven't really touched on that, but there's there's always that conversation of, hey, well, Clay, I don't need to just get in with my... I've got a relative or or a mom or a dad or grandma or grandpa that's willing to gift me some money, or maybe not even gift, but loan me some money in order to get my first investment property, which is first of all, amazing. Take, you know, take advantage of that, but do it in a way that's a win-win, meaning have a loan term note signed, have it recorded with your title company, You know, that says, hey, I owe my grandma 150,000 for buying this little fixer-upper here in Sandy. And what are the note terms? What's the repayment plan? And have it recorded with the title company. And, I, and I'm speaking out of experience. I, I have my, my, my dad, I, again, like I said, I'm, I'm not from a, a wealthy family from West Valley, but one of the greatest gifts I ever had in my entire life is that my, my dad was willing to take a risk with me and did a home equity line of credit on his home that was paid off to allow me to snag that third property I mentioned, that that little junker house that I did, that was completely trashed. But he said, "Hey, I'll be your hard money lender. I'll let you borrow this money to fix it up, and then refinance it. And pay me back." And so I thought, what a great opportunity, which it, when I reflect on it, it changed my life, right? Because I was able to get this house. But I'll tell you, I'm really glad that I had a repayment plan. I recorded it with, with the title company uh, because it's preserved the relationship with my dad. And it's also earned his trust, where now I've done that, gosh, six or seven times where I've had a very inexpensive hard money source to do, we call them burr properties, BRRR, buy, renovate, refinance, rent, you know? Huh. And it's, it, it's a really great strategy and, and that's, maybe for another time and another topic, but at the same time, I'd want to plant those seeds with people. If That's, that's been a, you know, it, that's a huge, a huge opportunity to invest if you can get some cheap money.
0: Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's for sure.
1: And that's something that I, like you said, I just don't think I've never thought like, Oh, even working at a title company <laughs> that, to, to like record that. If you're getting a hard money loan like, well, yeah for solid. sure
2: yeah i mean it's it's i i'm one that i'm a believer in everything should be in writing and agreed upon because first of all i have a terrible memory i forget stuff all the time and 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 whatnot but i write everything down and i like it recorded and i always like having a third party to kind of look at things and whether it's a title company or or, or an attorney if you if you want to pay for that just have somebody look at stuff and just say okay yeah this is you're smart you know this is a good or hey you're, you've got a blind spot here you're gonna you and your dad are gonna end up quarreling over you know the fact that you don't have a time frame on your deal or whatnot mm. so it's it's to protect, protect the relationships it's i mean mixing we all know mixing family and business is, is is about the riskiest thing you can do in life um i'm one that believes and i've had success with again an uncle and my father as i mentioned i've been very lucky to to have done those successfully but i've seen time and time again that's why i say one of the Mm -hmm. biggest risks that i've seen people do is they don't have clarity around those and they are they're playing with the most important relationships in their life you know when they start doing business with with their family
0: with their family yeah,
2: and as safe as real estate might be, stuff comes up. Mm-hmm. Like stuff, yeah,
0: stuff happens. Stuff we stuff know that stuff Where happens.
2: Mm-hmm. Earthquakes in Utah can, can put a <laughs> one inch crack <laughs> in your rental property, and that <laughs> happened to me.
0: I, I had to deal with that. Fabulous! This has been a wonderful podcast. We've really enjoyed having Clay here with us today. So, Stephanie. If someone wants to get a hold of Clay, how can they do that?
1: Well, he has a very clever number. It's 801-RED-SIGN. So, (laughs) yeah, that's how you can contact him. And Clay, how can they get a hold of you on social media?
2: Just Google Clay Winder. I've got, I've, I've got it all. Luckily, I'm the, I, well, I was the only Clay Winder until my cousin just had a little baby Clay. Okay, so now technically there is another Clay Winder in the world. But no, Google me, but visit RedSign.com or ClayWinder.com. I'd be happy to talk to anybody if they've got some questions. How do you spell your last name? W-I-N-D-E-R, just wind with an
0: E-R. Very awesome.
1: Good. Well, thank you so much for sharing with our listeners how they can continue to secure a house for their home.
0: You've been listening to the Red Sign Podcast. A deep dive into legacy wealth building through real estate. See you next time.